Thanks for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. Uh, my guest is uh, Naomi joining me. Uh, so Naomi, if you want to give a little bit of uh, background, uh, introduce yourself, give a little background on yourself and the company. Sure, sure. Thanks uh, for having me today, Tony. Uh, my name is Naomi Nuta. I am the VP of Marketing and Partner uh, Relationships at Kajito. Kajito is an AI-native real-time coaching and guidance solution for the contact center. So in, in short, what we do is help contact center agents have better conversations with customers. Uh, I got my start at Kajito um, several years ago. I had come from Nielsen where I spent many years looking at marketing communications and advertising and using consumer neuroscience tools to understand how people made decisions. And what do I mean by that is essentially measuring everything at the unconscious level, at the non-conscious level, trying to see what was really driving people to uh, not change the channel, because at the time we were still changing channels and, and just starting to fast forward and skip. Uh, and what I realized at that point was a lot of our behaviors are really what are going to influence outcomes, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, how we communicate. Uh, that's what we're going to that. Those are more predictive ways of understanding why we make decisions. And so that's one of the reasons I left over to Kajito because Kajito was one of the first AI native contact center solutions that was really looking at the signals behind our voices, how we communicate in addition to what we say, but started with how we communicate in order to help customer contact agents, customer professionals uh, have those kinds of interactions that are going to improve the customer experience um, all the way down the line. And, okay. and that's where I am today. All right. Well, <clears throat> I have some thoughts, but before we get there, sure. Uh, let's just talk about, I guess, basically, like how how are you how how is Cogito applying artificial intelligence in customer service? Sure. How does that work? So we we think now when you hear artificial intelligence, everyone kind of immediately leaps to Gen AI, but the reality is that uh, artificial intelligence has actually been in use and been applied to uh, to a lot of different technology for the last, I wanna say like eight, five to eight years, really cloud kind of helped push that along. But what Kajito does and, and started with were signals-based machine learning models. And what do I mean by that? These were machine learning models that assess different signals in our voices, the acoustics, the pace, the pitch, the tone, all of those elements that could indicate how someone was feeling. So they're, they're not so much their emotional state, meaning their expressed emotion, but more about their level of emotional arousal, their level of interest in a conversation, their level of confidence in what they were hearing. Those are all signals that we can extract from voice. And that's what Kajito did when it first got started. It would extract signals from both the agent conversation and the customer conversation and be able to, to give agents that kind of direction or cue when a customer needed a little bit more attention, when they were feeling frustrated, and when an agent could adjust their speaking tone or pace in order to improve how the customer was feeling about it. So we did both machine learning models, we developed machine learning models for guidance 
in real time. That was the other major element here. It's not just the machine learning, but it's also the infrastructure. How can you give an agent guidance during the conversation, not afterwards when it's too late, um, not just before when you're doing training, but in the moment when it really matters. So doing that with low latency, that was really key. And the other piece to that was at scale. So contact centers and, and the people that Kajito works with in particular, these are people who employ, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 30,000 customer service professionals who are having conversations every single day. And what we've seen from the data actually is that the volume of conversations happening on voice um, has not decreased with all of the uh, additional automation that's available to customers now. If anything, it's increased for a variety of reasons, which we can go into. Um, but that was something really core to what Kajita was trying to do, was make sure that we could support those agents who are receiving customer calls even after the customer hasn't necessarily resolved the issues they were trying to resolve in the first place. And then as the AI and machine learning technology improved over time, we started adding in more signals in the form of words. Uh, so we were able to combine both those elements of behaviors that influence emotion, like relationship type issues, and we were also able to incorporate words in order to really improve process and procedures and compliance and all those other elements of a customer service um, professional work, including upsell and cross-sell, uh, that ultimately get the customer what they need. Okay. <clears throat> well, I... I just had some customer uh, call center uh, okay. interactions recently, and I, I can say that um, I don't think there was any AI necessary okay. to pick up on the lack of nuance <laughs> in my in, in my frustration. I think I, I think I make it very clear, uh, uh, but uh, out for you. <laughs> but you know, uh, retail customers, this is the season for customer service. It's probably one of the most challenging times of the year for people who work in customer service for exactly the feelings that you just described. Well, and one of the things, one of the things that, uh, that I feel like in, 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 in when I'm calling, hmm. in like I'm trying to think of a, a, a specific example, but whether I'm calling my bank or I'm calling for tech support or I'm calling for whatever I have typically already Googled it. I've already watched the YouTube video. I've already gone through the forums. I've done all of the base level things. The reason I'm calling you is because you're the, you're the, you're the, the last resort. Mm -hmm. And the issue that I have is that the flow chart that customer service operates from starts as at the beginning you know so, right. so so there's always this okay well have you checked that it's plugged in like yes mm -hmm. i freaking check that it's plugged in like we're way past that and but but and and the, the reason i was getting increasingly frustrated with the company that i was talking to is because they just insisted that we had to continue going down this flow chart yeah and i was and i kept trying to tell them i'm like look i'm on like page five can you just skip okay. ahead <laughs> No, I, I can totally appreciate it. I'm, I'm imagining a similar situation that, that I've been through in the past. And I think that what you're describing is a lot of where the technology is going. I think that uh, many of the businesses that we work with, they're these huge Fortune 100 companies, they know that sticking to a script 
and sticking to a predetermined workflow is not the best solution for customer experience. But up until recently, it was very hard to adjust and pivot and configure for your Tony specific experience on the fly. So that's where there are a couple of elements that, that really matter here. One is the infrastructures, the platform that uh, contact centers are working with. And what I mean by that is really their entire tech stack. Are they working with the kinds of technology and solutions that are going to be able to identify context? And what I mean by that is where you have been in your customer journey and all of that information being pushed to the agent so that when they get you on the phone, they don't have to go through the workflow. They already know everything that you did and it's documented and it's in the system. They don't have to look for information, they can immediately scan it. Now, what if we do one better and we say the, the agent doesn't necessarily have to scan it, but that information can be pushed to the agent in context, in the moment when you're having conversation. So for Kajito, for example, um, we really think about that in the in terms of what's often called customer orchestration or um, agent agent seamless experience, agent desktop. What what that means is, and and Gartner actually has called it the connected rep. It's that the representative who's answering the phone has all the information that they need in order to be authentic, in order to have a conversation with you but yet know all the information that they need to do their job. Because really those workflows are designed because the information isn't being pushed to the agent. So ad adaptations like gener generative AI, LLMs, those are going to be really useful to start summarizing things that have happened to Tony on his journey. And then the platform elements, the ones that can really maneuver in real time, are going to be critical to then push that information directly to the agent in the conversation. That's where Kajito's going in terms of our roadmap as well. Okay. So all that all that I think is 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 very interesting. And I think sounds like it would be helpful because one of the the what I think is is an issue with basically all chatbots for sure. And mm -hmm. then also humans when I call is again they're engineered for first choice. They're engineered for, I have a problem and I'm coming to you to help solve this problem. Mm -hmm. And so like, a, like when you, when I see an AI chatbot, like all the things it offers, like I, I just had this issue with, with Amazon where I was like trying to solve the problem. It's like all of the initial, like, Hey, here's five things that are, you know, these are like the, the the five most common things people come to us about. So so here is your, is your problem one of these five? Right, right. And I always find it annoying because I'm like, well, no. If it was one of those five, I would have solved it already. Yeah. Um. But when I step back and I think about it logically, I'm like, okay, well, I guess you know because I'm I'm I am more technologically savvy than than most. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that is useful. Maybe, maybe the vast majority of the people who come to Amazon and are looking for something, those five questions deal with their problem and everyone's happy. You know, they, they right. solve their problem. Amazon doesn't have to have any human beings involved. Everyone, everyone walks away happy problem solved. Um, but, but for me, like I said, by the time I, by the time I get to the part where I'm contacting support, it's like, well, no, I'm already, I, I'm past all of that. And it's, it's not any of those problems. I also, I, I, a lot on the voice side, 
Mm-hmm. And I've, I've had this interaction with uh, a, a a hospital that I had to call recently to to try to solve an issue, and also I think with Amazon. But um, increasingly, there's the there's the voice response, right? Automated voice response bot that, right. that answers the phone, and it's always like, well. I am happy to help direct your call. Can you please tell me what the problem is? Yeah. And the thing is, that technology also seems to be rudimentary. Mm-hmm. Like, it only understands, like, five keywords or whatever. Yeah. And and so, like, it'll say, well, can you tell me what the problem is? And I'm like, well, yes, I plugged this thing into the other thing, and then that thing failed, and then I tried to reboot it, and now this thing's not working, and I need to talk to someone about how to make that f- how to fix it and it just kind of goes hmm so i'm hearing that you'd like to renew your subscription i'm like no no yeah (laughs) that is not what i said so so i've gotten into the default mode of i literally just whether it's on the chat bot or on the voice thing basically my only response is human being right right It, it, it says whatever it says and i'm like just give me a human being and it's like okay but can you please just let us know like narrow down like what's the issue i'm like no just just give me a human being. I'll narrow it down to them, but right I'm not going to waste my time with you. Yeah, yeah. No, I've I've been exactly in your situation. And I would I would urge you to look at it from the flip side also. You are not alone. So what that means is there are thousands and thousands of people just like you who've tried a bunch of different things. They're savvy enough to try something themselves. They're savvy enough to try going through the chat bot, try going through the web-based guide, the FAQ, and nothing works. And so by the time they talk to a contact center agent, a few things happen. They're really frustrated and they're what we call coming in hot. Essentially, the agent, who doesn't know that you've done all of this, by the way, um, is they're, they're there to help you go through this problem, but they need to be empowered with the tools that are gonna help them answer your question because they know you're coming in angry and annoyed and what have you. And so the problems that they're trying to solve, it started as a small problem for you, but it probably got bigger and bigger and bigger and expanded and expanded until now it's a really urgent situation. It wasn't when it started, but because it's taken you so long to solve it, you're in right. a you're in a mood, right? And so not only are they there to help your customer experience, they almost have to kind of recoup all the losses that have occurred up until it arrived at their station. And now they're responsible for not just solving your problem, but making sure that your experience is much, much better because you have to you have to reverse the experiences you had previously. Right. Well, and I and and I and I very much do like respect that. They're trying to do their job. Yeah. And so, like, especially as I, again, I'll use the example from this, this weekend. I'm not going to name the company, but like I I had called. Mm-hmm. I spent like 45 minutes or an hour going through this, you know, where, where like keep I kept hitting walls where they were like, well, we need to do this. And I'm like, I've done that seven times. And they're like, OK, but I can't go to the next step in my flow chart unless we do this. And so I'm like, all right, I guess we'll do it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like an hour in. The call dropped. Oh, that's the worst. So I call back and the first thing they say is, you know, they're like, well, can I confirm your name? Yeah. And they're like, all right, can we get a phone number so I can call you back in case the call drops? And I said, well, yes, you can. Here you go. But just so we're clear, the previous person also asked for that information, Mm -hmm. but didn't call me. 
I was like, and I, and I feel like that's very common. I'm like, you, you always, you know, you as customer service, like you're always asking for what's a good callback number, but nobody ever calls back. I've had yeah. calls dropped all the time. Nobody ever calls back. Yeah, um, no, I, I, I can appreciate that. I mean, I think the, the, the bottom line is that your experience is common, but it's also dependent. Every contact center has their kind of own way of doing things and they're all pulling in information from different places. And so only those that are what we call seamless, essentially, they're, they're relying heavily on APIs that they can pull in information and that they can make meaning out of that information. And, and what Kajito started early on is making meaning with machine learning models. And that's essentially kind of where we're going, is making meaning out of additional information. So we have APIs that push our data uh, into the system to help the agent, but we also are consuming APIs from third parties. So to your point, if the workflow has already been followed, if your phone number has already been provided, uh, phone number, it'll be redacted. But in most cases, the relevant information is going to be pushed to the agent. So when they pick up the phone, they can say, hey, Tony, I see you've gone through this entire thing um, over the last couple of minutes. Let me solve this next step for you. Let, let's right. just move forward from there. Which that, all that I think, son, it, it, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, so using uh, healthcare as a, uh, example or whatever like this is not really the 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 ultimate like mm -hmm. outcome of hipaa but one of the things from my perspective is i'm like what what i want for it to exist is that there's this centralized health record that it's not like that doctor has one set of records and then the hospital's got a different set of records and then that guy's got and it's like no i want there to be one tony radley health profile that we just all have access to and we share and yeah in a similar vein, like I have this issue that, you know, like with, with Amazon, we're like, you know, my, myself, my wife and our kids have this Amazon home, Amazon family unit mm -hmm. where, you know, and, and, and the kids have access to buy things using the credit card we've assigned in the system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, m most of my kids are older, so there's only one kid left on that system, but she started having problems where it wouldn't let her make it wouldn't let her, let her make purchases it would it would you know it would only let her buy gift cards huh. and uh, and i called and i spent like hours hours you know, uh, el escalated 10 different ways um with amazon they you know couldn't solve the problem ended up giving me a solution that made things worse. And then I had to, you know, fight through 10 other le levels of, of support to get things back to where they were previously broken <laughs> back to, back to a baseline. But, but eventually we got it to sort of work. We got it to work. Okay. Even though they couldn't say, yes, this is the problem and this is how we fixed it. It did work. And so we yeah. just let it go. Okay. Well, a couple months later, same thing happened. And so now I call back and I'm back at square one. And that's the part where I'm like, okay, what I need is I need the AI. I need there to be that infrastructure. I need there to be the AI that says, hey, listen, yeah. we already spent 12 hours on the phone with Tony Bradley right. solving this problem. This is what we did. This is what worked. This is what didn't work so that we're not starting over because I've now had, and it's happened again <laughs> and again. So now it's been, I think, five different times I've called them wow. for the same problem. And even though I start off by trying to explain the entire history of it, where I say, listen, this is what happened. I called, we spent days 
<laughs> this is this is what this was the resolution kind of um every single customer service person honestly believes they're the one that's going to solve it yeah so they, they they basically don't listen to anything i've said when i'm like listen we have already done all of these things we already spent all these i've 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 invested days of my life with amazon trying to solve this problem and yeah. they're like oh but you weren't talking to me so we're going to start at square one and I'm going to solve this for you. And I'm like, you're, you're not, <laughs> you're just not going to solve it for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's your, what, what you're talking about. Um, and this happens often there's, it's kind of these, this dual conflict on the one hand, you want to empower the customer service agents because you want them to feel like they are that line of service. They are personalizing the experience for you. But on the other hand, there's a whole host of operational organization that comes behind the scenes that needs to empower that agent. Because it's one thing to your point, they want to solve it for you, but they don't always have access to all the information in the entire story. And sometimes, you know, they're not necessarily, um, they're not privy to the entire journey from for a variety of different reasons, from privacy restriction information. Actually, one of the things that you mentioned, that whole element about your data, that's really a conversation that's happening right now with a lot of those who are um, who are focused on data. So healthcare is a really great example. You have some very private healthcare data. Why can't it just belong to you? And then you decide when it gets shared to your healthcare provider, or to your hospital. That's really something that um, a lot of uh, data scientists and actually one of Kajito's co-founders, Dr. Sandy Pentland, has been investigating recently this concept of the individual's data being the most important element in this entire infrastructure. And that individual can opt in and share their data with the community, in this case, your health insurance provider, or opt out and pull your data out of the health insurance provider. So one small example, but what you're really talking to is tons and tons of data because you've got all these interactions that are happening, but then how do we organize all those interactions and make meaning out of them? We're at the stage, think of this journey as a long-term journey because really from a technology perspective, most contact centers are at the stage where they're starting from the lowest hanging fruit and, and that is summarizing all of the interactions that you've had, all of the conversations you've had and using large language models, for example, to summarize all those conversations and then store them and then push them to the agent and then identify the right moment so they push them to the agent when it matters most. So all of these steps in the process to making your experience, I think it's gonna speed up quite a bit, uh, but we're still at the nascent stage where most of the um, Fortune 200, Fortune 300, um, including health insurance companies, are starting to explore how they can use large language models, custom, large language models for their own data so that it's secure, it's private, it's um, redacted as needed, but then it's more useful when someone like yourself calls in and has some of these problems. Yeah, well, it, and going going back to kind of the beginning of, of what you said and, and like how you, how you outlined what Cogito does, mm -hmm. my thought at the time when I said I have thoughts, <laughs> my yeah. my thought at the time was and and this this applies to a lot of ai generative ai machine learning like oh, the whole spectrum of 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 that type of thing is like there are tremendous benefits mm -hmm. there, you know and, and like i've said all along even when it comes to like you know 
Google or whoever, like monitoring email and tracking my my browser you know, activity so that they can customize ads for me. I've mm-hmm. made the point in the past where I'm like, listen, on the one hand, that seems kind of creepy. Like, why are you watching everything I do? On the other hand, if you're going to show me ads anyway, mm-hmm. like if we if we if we if we start from that premise, if we accept that there are going to be ads. Yeah. Doesn't it make sense for the ads to at least be somehow relevant to me? Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Like, I don't need to show I don't need you to show me ads. It's a waste of my time, your time, everyone's time. If you're showing me ads that have absolutely nothing to do with me, there's zero chance that I'm, I'm going to be remotely interested. So, yes, it makes sense that you would like monitor things and try to present me with with ads that have some probability of being relevant to me. Right. Fast forward now with AI and generative AI and, and all of these things, it's like, yes, I on the one hand, there's so many ways that that could be beneficial for, for it to know, like, you know, uh, something about me and, and what I've done and how I am. And, 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 and so that you're not starting every conversation from square one. So when I call customer service, it, it, you know, the, there's, there's already a baseline of, okay, well, we're up here because we have this information yeah. about Tony. That, that I, I understand the benefits of that on the flip side of it, it there's there's a creepiness factor. It starts to seem like you know precogs mm-hmm. from the Minority Report, especially the way you described the stuff with like Nielsen and stuff, where it's like, you know, where you're listening for like the uh-huh. nuance in my voice to pick out the emotion I don't even know I'm having. Uh huh. Uh huh. You know, <laughs> which again, I, like I understand the benefit of it. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't want you knowing about an emotion I don't even know I'm having. For sure. For sure. Maybe. Maybe it's the word choice because when when uh, when psychologists talk about emotion, what they're really talking about is literally the level of energy that you're putting out there, um, and it's all your physiology. Are you leaning in? Is your voice getting elevated? Uh, are you focusing more? Um, are you uh, essentially is your tone adjusting? All of those elements are behaviors that are indicating a level of excitement that you have. So when they speak to emotion, they're not about are you sad, are you happy, all of those sentiment analyses um, that that are out there. They're focused on, listen, you know, I can tell right away that this guy um, is is in need of support right now. That's about the level of emotion that we're talking about. It's behaviors that are observed. So and and essentially we've been doing this, you know, you don't need Nielsen or any other technology to do that. All of this is human behavior. So as humans, we have been communicating through our facial expressions and through our nonverbal, through our tones forever. You and I are having a conversation right now. If I was to uh, lower my voice and be boring like this, it would come off as a really uninteresting conversation. And then you would be like, whoa, you know, what am I saying that's that's turning her off? Um, or you might be like, whoa, she's so boring. How can we make this podcast more interesting? But essentially, uh, you're trying to make meaning out of it. So it's the perception. And, and that's all we're really looking at is how can we use the signals in our voice? How can we understand them to understand kind of the, the perception that we're giving off of each other and then do something about that? And that's all. Yeah. That's all it really is. Well, it's, because. No, we're not at the point where I can determine that you are uh, showing me contempt. We're not using facial coding. Here. I was going to say, well, like, so, so, so we're not, we may not be there and Kojito may not be there, but there is an element, of, and, you know, so I've, you know, there've been anecdotal stories from just from the Google search side of like 
someone searches for one thing, they search for another yeah. thing. Maybe they haven't even put two and two together. They're searching for like what they think are disconnected things. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're getting ads for like, you know, baby clothes because Google has figured out that you're pregnant. Yeah. That's even though you didn't, uh, you, you haven't even made that connection pregnant. yet. And I feel like that, 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 that possibility exists on yeah. a number of levels where it's like, you know, the AI can start to kind of put things together based on different things you're doing and come up with things that you didn't quite mm -hmm. get to yet, uh, you know, logically or intellectually. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. I mean, I think what, what you're speaking to is is something that that we talk a lot about in this concept of human in the loop. There's a human in the loop who's doing all of this and the AI is going to interpret it. But there's also a human who's uh, designing the models, who's training these data sets, who's choosing what kind of data to put into these models, who's asking the question at the very top of the, the funnel here, um, what are we gonna use this data for? What question are we trying to answer? So that speaks to all of the conversations that, that, um, that are happening right now around bias in AI. Because to your point, yes, AI is smart because we can train models to essentially compute a lot of information more quickly than a human can do it in that moment. It allows us to be more productive. But having said that, we have to really be careful about what kind of models are we developing and how are we using them? And are we using them for the wrong purpose? So for example, um, models that are designed to help a business understand you know, what's being shopped for most often versus applying that same model and interpreting life stage of the customer based off of that. Two very different things. And there's that really famous story um, early, early on, like when models were still called algorithms, where you're right, someone was shopping online, looking at different things, um, and they hadn't told, they, they had just realized they were pregnant, but they hadn't told their rest of their family. And the business sent the house a, a mailer about baby things. So probably a much more convoluted story than that. But you're right, it's, it's this concept of, what, what is the intended purpose of the model that you're developing? How are you going to train that model? And at every stage, how are you going to make sure that it's balanced for fairness and for equity and all of the different considerations as humans that we take into consideration when we speak to each other? The model needs to take yeah. the same things into consideration. Well, and you know, I, 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 obviously this has been the year of generative AI. So I've had a number of conversations. We've done a number of podcast episodes that have focused around different aspects of generative AI and large language mm -hmm. models. And one of the things we've I've consistently come back to and has consistently come up in these conversations is both the 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 quantity and quality of data yeah. under, underlying it. And and you know, because it it you know the example that I've used uh recently is like I can have a an extensive comprehensive culinary database. It's got every recipe. It's got everything you could possibly want to know about how to cook things and, 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 and whatever. If I then go and try to, you know, create a healthcare generative AI and I use that as my data set, mm -hmm. that's not going to work very well. <laughs> you yeah. know, so I was like, it might, and I might have the greatest like generative AI algorithm mm -hmm. model, but it's trying to ask questions of a data set that doesn't have the answers. Exactly. Um, so, so, you know, you need both aspects of that. For sure. Um, and, 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 and yeah. increasingly it seems like, uh, you know, in the conversations that I've had, 
there's a lot of focus on like proprietary, like, you know, we, like we all think about like chat GPT and mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, chat GPT is using the world at large as its data set. It, you know, it's using the internet. Um, and you know, 75% of the stuff on the internet is wrong to begin with. So that's probably not a great data set. <laughs> um, so when you are doing something like what Cogito is doing, like I imagine it's like, well, no, I need a, I need a very specific yeah. data set. I need a data set that, that understands customer service, that understands what we're trying to do. Um, so that when I ask a question, I get an answer that's accurate and relevant. You're exactly right. I mean, before, generative AI, Kajita was using data sets that were specific to customer service, as well as when it evolved, when customer service started to be about more than just a great CX, but also there was an an, an increased pressure for revenue generation, for cross-selling and upselling, then our data sets had to evolve as well in order to consider those use cases. Um, And in many cases, it's the vertical. So one of the great examples out there right now for large language models is two, two ways. One, you don't need the most advanced model for summarizing conversations because you're not looking for information. You're summarizing the information. It already is there. So therefore, you don't need the latest version of ChatGPT 4.0, 5.0, or any other um, open source AI model at its most sophisticated level that's using thousands and thousands of data to train. You only need enough to recognize the language and the context in which you're in. That's a very simple model. But you're still a business, you still have a lot of different product lines, you still need to share accurate information depending on a product. And so in customer service, for example, where agents are responsible for two or three different products or in healthcare, where each of those are very different from the other, then you may start to need a whole portfolio of large language models because they all have to be trained on different types of conversations and different knowledge bases as well. Um, And when it comes to compliance and legal and regulatory, all of those considerations have to be taken into account. So what we're really thinking about at Kajito is supporting companies who are applying lots of different large language models. And Kajito essentially will become that funnel or that venue where we can ingest a bunch of different models and then push out the right one at the right time uh, to the right person um, in a way that does not uh, hurt the customer experience, but actually helps it because it's in real time. So I think that you're going to see, it's great that you're having those conversations and you're going to see this application um, across the board, not just in customer service, but you're probably going to see it in in advertising as well. Once advertisers start to catch on that, you know, we're, we're done with those large, you know, you know, 18 to 45 year old males as the entire population segment, like we're way beyond that at this point. Well, and that's uh, over the years I've I've used I've used Minority Report as a, as a reference in a number of different ways. It's, it's and a good. One of them has to do with the advertising and how like he's walking through the mall and the different like holographic ads that pop yeah. up are like they're very they're specific to him. Exactly. Um, and you know, and and I think you know that that's kind of where things need to go. Now, one thing I will say though is. You know, so you, I, you know, if I go on Amazon and I search for, I don't know, Air Jordans, um, inevitably for the next week, I will receive ads 
mm-hmm. specifically about Air Jordans and probably specifically about the exact pair that I looked at. And okay. that's a problem that, that that's a, an area where I'm like, OK, look, I went you, you know, I went to Amazon. OK, more power to you. You know, I looked at these. I either wanted them, in which case I already bought them mm-hmm. or I didn't want them. Yeah. So. By all means, show me related ads, show me ads for socks, show me ads for (laughs) show me ads for different similar shoes. But don't show me the same thing I already looked at because that's silly. Like I I already I already know about that one. There there's a a, that I mean, this isn't just a psychology term, but the red pickup truck effect where, yes, they may be serving you additional ads, but you also may be noticing additional ads because it was on your mind. And now you're seeing it everywhere uh, because yeah. you're thinking about it. Um, so I can't speak for advertisers, but I can totally experience your pain because I had the same exact thing. Actually, my son likes Air Jordans. And I just, I, I just generally think, I just generally think it's bad. Like it's, it's a, it's a waste of marketing. Like I think of it from the marketing perspective, where I'm like, if I'm the marketer, yeah. I don't want to target my ad at someone who already looked at that specific thing and either decided yes or no. Mm-hmm. I want to target people who are in the market who, right. you know, who maybe could benefit right. from knowing That's about street. my product, not That's someone street. who already right. decided not to get it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's the last time I was looking at marketing technology, but that whole concept of um, essentially micro-targeting, it's micro-targeting based on behavior. Um, you know, that was a conversation that was happening even 20 years ago when it ha- when it was about mail, direct mail to your home for presidential campaigns. Uh, they were they, they were looking at, you know, what other kinds of information did you care about and therefore, you know, what kind of mailer should you get? It's the same premise that's being used in the advertising you're receiving, but that missing piece of information is they don't know what you did after you went to the couple of places that measure your behavior. And so they're kind of guessing and yeah. they're they're hoping for the best. They don't know whether you made a purchase or not, but they're going to take a risk that maybe you didn't make a purchase and they still have a few more days it, to influence you. It, it kind of comes back to my, my thing about how there's this fine line between the benefits and the creepiness. Yeah. Um, because really it would be beneficial to me in this equation if there was greater sharing of information, if there wasn't like these privacy walls and like if, if everyone was allowed, if everyone's allowed to share everything they know about Tony Bradley so we can have one sort of unified view of this is this is what he's done. This is what he's looked at, because then you take away some of that guessing, then then yeah. they don't have to guess. Exactly. Um, Think you know, of the infrastructure then, right now. The infrastructure for your information is flipped. You've got one Tony who has all this information, but. You, it's been cut up into millions and millions and millions of little pieces. And each of the different places that you interact with in the digital world, each own a piece of that. But there is no one central place where you, Tony, control the information and either expose all of it or expose a little of it or expose minimal. So when you think of the the the, the kind of flip side, you're in the center and all these other resources are out there. And ideally, you would push the information to those resources right. all in the same way, all at the same time. But the way that the internet infrastructure and all of these kind of, the, the way that media is designed is to flip it, is to collect information from you based off of what you do, as opposed to going directly to the source. Um, well, and also, I, 
while I see the benefit, like I can, I can, I can paint the picture of how this would be yeah. helpful for me. I'm also not advocating for it because I don't, <laughs> it's like, a, a, then, I, mean, then I go back to the creepiness factor side where I'm like, well, no, I don't really want there to be this central repository where every advertiser can see, right. you know, what I've done. And, and like, I don't, that, that, that's not, that's not the ideal situation for me. I'm just saying there would be an upside there. There's a silver lining oh, to that. Sure. There would totally be an upside. You're probably one of the only people I've talked to recently who cares about the upside, <laughs> who is who is uh, less worried about the downside. But I think it also has a lot to do with um, essentially like the cycle of technology that we're in and the stage at which we've adopted technology. So I did research years ago on the concept of digital natives versus, versus digital immigrants. Digital natives are born with technology, think Gen Z, Gen whatever this latest gen is. Uh, for them, giving their information out is a no-brainer, of course. So they can get onto Instagram, get onto TikTok, do all the things. And I'm, you know, blaming my 10-year-old right now who's trying to access Instagram and sharing whatever information they ask versus folks like us who were digital immigrants who kind of adapted and adopted technology phase by phase, but we were kind of savvy enough to have lived in a world where not a lot of people had our information, therefore it's important to us, therefore we're going to um, control it and control access to it. And ideally people aren't gonna make money off of that information the way that we give them freedom to do so now. Well, and that hits on something like, yeah, I've. You know, there's data breaches all the time. Yeah. You know, and then and then you know, inevitably you get an email saying, "Hey, you know, this company, you know, whether it's Target or Bank of America, whatever, like you know, we we we've suffered a compromise. Your your data may have been impacted. We're so sorry. Uh, we we take your privacy very seriously. And um, on us, here's a here's a year of uh, identity theft protection service. <laughs> and and I I used to joke about how like the frequency of data breaches has made it so like I've basically got like a lifetime supply of of identity theft protection because you know it happens all the time and then at the same time and this is a very jaded and cynical perspective but you know like working in technology and cybersecurity I'm sort of of the mindset that the horse already left the barn mm -hmm. so like when you tell me my data has been compromised I'm like it that that already happened like i like you can't tell me my data isn't already on the dark web so it's actually not a concern of mine like and like when people you know especially like you know my generation and older mm -hmm. who are very very sensitive about social security numbers and i'm like i i feel like it that's already public domain like i it it <laughs> you know like all these things that we're trying to protect i'm like i think they're already out there and that's too late and so like it, to some extent, I feel like the the younger generation, like you talked about how they, you know, they just, you know, yeah, you just share your information. I'm like, I understand there's still an ongoing privacy debate and there are many privacy advocates who will argue with me and tell me that my jaded cynical view is is wrong and that it's still possible for us to have this control. Mm -hmm. I kind of choose to just take the opposite view entirely where I'm like, I'm just going to pretend it just doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. in the first place um and yeah. i mean it's, it's it's sort of like when you know it's like when uh uh when people do talk about social security numbers and it's like well you know well you know you know or you know is social security going to be there i'm like i haven't really cared for you ever because i don't i i don't plan on it existing for me when i yeah. need it yeah and I mean, now I if it does if it does that'll be a happy benefit you know i'll be like oh look i got some money i wasn't planning on but i've never planned my life around that this is going to be there for me and I don't expect it to be. So I'm not really that concerned about it. 
it, I mean, you have a point, but I think it also, it's a lot about how that information is used, not just that it's out there. So for example, Kajita works with health insurance providers and health insurance providers are not just concerned about PII, but also well, PCI, but PII as well. Every piece right. of identifiable information. And that's because from a legal perspective, they're required. So the issue with a lot of the data that's out there is that not um, that there isn't as much of a legal regulatory system that's protecting data. Like in Europe, for example, Europe's taken a really strong stance against that. And so maybe there is data that's out there. Maybe your own personal data is out there, but your personal data can be stripped so that just your behaviors are the ones that are out there. And that allows models to be trained to be more effective. But your name, your identity, all of that doesn't need to be part of the data set that's out there. It's just certain behaviors in order to train models to be more effective. So Kajito redacts everything, for example. We make sure for our customers that um, every transcript we generate, every piece of recorded audio is redacted for personally identifiable information and can be additionally um, added more terms, blacklisted for additional terms, because every organization organization is going to be, they're going to have customers like you who are really comfortable with this, or they're going to have customers who are uh, less comfortable and more sensitive to it. And therefore they have to be able to modulate. Right. Well, and it's like, I, I've, I've done some stuff with, uh, you know, vendors around identity fraud. And it's like, I, I'm, I'm well aware of the fact that armed with Tony Bradley's name, address, birth date, social security mm -hmm. number. I can go create any number of accounts. I can go, you know, there there are a number of reasons why that's bad. Right. I'm just saying that from my perspective, me preventing that information from getting to the next person doesn't mm -hmm. change the fact that it already exists out there on the dark web. So yes, I do need to be watching for identity theft. Yeah. And companies do need to be watching for identity fraud. But from my perspective, the privacy or the the, the trying mm -hmm. to keep my information secret part of that right that ship sailed uh-huh maybe it doesn't need to be exposed to as many people as already have access to well, it well and like actually my so one of my one of my kids uh just over thanksgiving he brought up you know the 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 evolving technology of deep fake audio and it's uh -huh. very convincing yeah. now and yeah. and Right. And he and he and he pointed out, he said, hey, you know what, because you do podcasts and stuff and your voice is just publicly available. Right. He's like, we need like a safe word or a code word in the yep. family that if there's a conversation going on that seems shady, we could say, OK, what's the safe word? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because because they're like, you know, he was like, it would be real easy to clone your voice based on existing technology. Yeah, I think we haven't we haven't really seen even like the fine tip of the impact that this is going to have. I think the the what we see out there is just the beginning. And the reason we're so aware of it does have a lot to do with the fact that we're exposed to these technologies now more than we ever had been. This, these are conversations, I think, that were kind of stuck in academia uh, and in research institutes for years. But because, you know, started with Cambridge Analytica, but then fast forward to ChatGPT, because in one year, you've had millions and millions of people adopting Gen AI. That conversation is right out in the front again uh, and actually taken more seriously than it ever was because the technology has moved so quickly and we've adopted it so quickly as well. Yeah. All right. Well, it was a fun conversation. I, yeah, I, great, I, great I, to meet you. I love these I kinds of questions. The time. So uh, enjoy uh, your afternoon and uh, thank you. 
I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions that you'd like to see answered in future posts. 